Hey guys, before we get started, we partnered with EasyRx Drug Card to help save you money on your prescription medications here in the U.S. It's free, there's no club to join, just bring the prescription discount card with you the next time you're filling your prescription to see if it can save you some cash. If it does, great, if not, throw it away. There's a link on our show notes where you can download, text, or print your prescription discount card. Give it a shot. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hello, Mike. Hey, babe. How you doing? I'm doing pretty darn good. I like PDG. Your, I like your shirt, the Sanderson Sisters of Twitch Museum, uh, 191693. Black light candle or black lit black candle. Flame black flame. Black cla- candle. flame candle. Yeah, you just watched that uh, show yesterday. I guess I did too. It's not a show. It's a movie. Movie. Hocus Pocus Hocus, 2. Hocus 2 is what I was going to say, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, um, I'm not a huge Hocus Pocus guy, but um, you know, it's fine. Something fun for the Halloween season. Uh, you're really into Halloween. Yes, I love Halloween and we're in October, so we got to take advantage. So both my daughter and myself have the same shirt. We're going to wear it tonight to a haunted house that we're going to. Yeah, we're purposely... So I, I kind of don't get it. We're going out to spend money to a place to try to get scared out of our wits. Yes, I don't really understand are. it, but hey, we're going to do it because uh, it makes you happy. It's the fun of Halloween. We know we're not going to be in danger. It's just for fun. Right, right. So you'll be totally fine going off by yourself because I no. guess you can decide whether you can be taken away from your group or not by I wearing like wear a, a glowing thing, Yeah, glowing necklace. So are you going to be taken away by yourself? No, I don't want to be separated from our group. But you know you're going to be safe. Yeah, I get that, but it's more fun to be with your people. Okay, I agree. I like to see you being scared. Yeah. I don't get scared, really, so... I definitely will be scared. I'm going to be laughing most of the time and just like, ha, 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 I'm pointing at everybody. It's mostly, it's the jump scares that, that get me. And these places, they always go after, you know, the girls and stuff. Yeah. The ones that are screaming already, because that's mm-hmm. where you're going to get the reaction. Right, and that, that makes it fun for them, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure the majority of the people that work there are, like, teenagers. Yeah. Just there for so, a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully no perverts. Right. Nobody wants that. Grab ass and uh, ass grabbing. The only one I'm grabbing your ass better be me. That's right. I'll tell you that. Um, thank you uh, so much for listening. Hey, and uh, if you like this episode, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or um, uh, Amazon Audible. So a lot of those out there. And you know what? I'm going to uh, read one of our reviews that we got because uh, we appreciate it so much. Um, this is from Hippie. She said, I listen on Spotify, but I love the babbling in the beginning. Don't listen to the haters. The more personal talk, the better. Bring some humanity to some of these cases. Also love the more obscure and not known episodes. You can tell Allison and Mike really do their due diligence. Love it. Favorite podcast by far. Wow. That's really nice. That's so very nice. Thank you, Hippie, whoever you are. We appreciate you. Yeah. Um, you know, just a little bit of talk in the beginning. If you hate it, you know, go to two minutes in and it's usually done. Just skip, skip, skip. Yeah, no big deal. And we, we like to, you know, get you to know us a little bit. Sure. Because, you know, otherwise you could just listen to true crime all day long. And if you like doing that, go for it. I get it. Right. So, um, but you, you know, here we are drinking our coffee on the Crime and Coffee Show, and um, you have been into uh, iced coffee in the mornings. Yeah. So what I've been doing is I, I know I've probably said this before, but I feel like I spend my life preparing for like the next day. Always, constantly, a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> she's always like, if she can't sit, like, and I really I can't sit because there's probably something in her mind that I can do. And uh, once the nighttime comes, then we can all sit down. You have said that, and that's bullshit. But the thing is, is that when I get home from work, I get myself ready for the next day. So I'm getting my breakfast ready. I'm getting my lunch ready, my coffee ready. So I've been liking it iced for two reasons. It's delicious. And I do my workout in the mornings, too. So it's kind of refreshing. Plus, it's done ahead of time. 
And I have a lot of espresso in that bad boy. Yeah. How many shots? Uh, usually two shots of espresso and a strong brew eight ounce cup of coffee. Okay. So you get your day going with like yeah. three cups of coffee. Put some basically. hair on my chest. It gets Everybody me really revved up. And the reason I thought of that, um, one of our listeners, they had a meme. I, I follow them on Instagram and they said like, um, the answer, like somebody, pe- some people ask me, do I want iced coffee? Sometimes later in the day, sometimes earlier in the day. The answer is always yes and will always be yes. So if you're getting an iced coffee, it mm-hmm. definitely get me one. I always wish in my mind that like, I could summon somebody to bring me like a cappuccino sometimes <laughs> on Friday. You can just go to DoorDash and spend $17. Oh, well, yeah. But on Friday, I was at work and I just I had slept really bad the past couple of days. And I was so freaking tired. And I was in my ICU rounds meeting, which can sometimes just drag on. And I was like, I would do anything for somebody to just bring me a cappuccino. The stupid thing is there's an awesome coffee shop down in the lobby. Yeah, it's magic. If you put your card in there and just slide it through and ask them for a cappuccino, they'll give you one. I know, but I had a lot to do and my meeting ran long, so I didn't get it. But I was like, where's Mike when you need him? (laughs) I'm usually the gopher. And now our daughter is doing the same thing, saying, oh, daddy, um, can you get me some water? Can you get me a popcorn? (laughs) What do you always say to her? Um, Yes. Are your legs broken? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's all. And then you get it for her. And then she laughs. And then I go get it like a dog. When you're out of town, they do not ask me for stuff like water because I'm like, "Um, I'm sorry. The cups are right in that cabinet. Go help yourself. Our son was eating lunch and he's like, Dad, can I have water? I'm like, absolutely. It's right by the fridge. Go get it. You're you're way nicer than me. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of one of those things. They're young. I want to try to help them while I can. And yeah, I will tell them to go get their own when it's necessary. But I'm not. you're a good person and I'm a bad person. That's what it comes down to. It's really what it boils down to. That was the gist. Yeah. So So I think um, if unless you have anything else to add we can get started i got nothing let's go so obviously in the spirit of halloween like we said it's october october is a really fun month it's also the kickoff of the holidays in my opinion oh that's why you like it so much yeah it's like everything fun starts in october i'm not a halloween guy whatsoever so i mean you know candy and stuff that's fun but i don't like ghosts and ghouls and scary stories and horror movies and all that kind of stuff i think it actually starts right after halloween so that your fun is yeah okay see i feel like in the day-to-day like monotony of life sometimes it's so cool to have like a holiday to look forward to because it kind of breaks up and it's something to look forward to i can see that so it's like you have october with all the scary movies and then halloween and then boom we're getting into thanksgiving and then boom christmas so it's just a lot of fun so that's part of the reason why i like it so regardless i was focusing on doing a halloween inspired episode a crime that happened at or around halloween i should say on or around this one actually happens on halloween and it's it's a terrible story but i'm gonna tell it so this is the liskey griffin family halloween massacre the family ones are tough, man. Terrible. Yeah. So the date was Sunday, October 31st, 2010, and 16-year-old Devin Griffin returned to his family home in Martin, Ohio, and he encountered what he initially thought was a Halloween prank, because obviously Halloween is, like we said, spooky time. People like to do gory things and get laughs and whatever out For of it. For some reason, people really enjoy that. Yeah. So initially, that's what he thought he was stumbling upon. But he quickly discovered that this was absolutely no joke and that, disgustingly enough, his mother, 46-year-old Susan Liskey, his stepfather, 53-year-old William or Bill Liskey, and his brother, 23-year-old Derek Griffin, had been murdered. 
So um, we'll kind of give a little background about the victims. You're going to talk a little bit like were they laying there? Oh, I'm going to tell you everything. So don't you worry. So Susan worked as an office manager for Northwest Ohio Carpenters Joint Apprenticeship and Training Committee. She loved gardening, hunting, camping. She loved the outdoors. And she was described as having a big heart. She was a loving mother. She was a loving sister, aunt, and friend. I mean, people just gushed over Susan. Mm. Bill was a retired Air Force veteran. He, like his wife, also loved the outdoor activities, hunting, and and things like that. I imagine they did it together. Exactly. Things that you bond over together. Um, He was described as an amazing friend, a loving husband and father. Derek had a black belt and adored spending time on Lake Erie on what was said to be his sailboat. I don't know if it was his or if it was his father's. A friend said that she would miss their dumb inside jokes together, their midnight Wendy's runs, and Derek's ability to always make her day and be there for her. So each victim sounded like they were a wonderful friend and added so much to other people's lives. Yeah, that's that's too bad. It, it was a lot that was taken away this day. So the Liskies and Griffins were a blended family. Susan was divorced from her um, the father of her kids. And she remarried Bill, and Bill had one son, and Susan had two. So I'll tell I'll tell you more about all of that. So Devin had spent the weekend at his dad's house, but the following day, which was Halloween, he headed home very quickly to his mom's house. He arrived at 9.30 a.m. just to change his clothes and get ready for church. He was going to be singing in the choir that morning. So while getting ready, Devin noticed that his 24-year-old stepbrother, William Liskey Jr., so this is Bill Liskey's only son, mm-hmm. only child, I should say. Okay, whereas Derek and Devin belong to Susan and her ex? Yes. Got it. So um, he noticed that 24-year-old, uh, I'm going to call him BJ, because that's what the family knew him for. So for the rest of this story, William Liskey Jr. is going to be referred to as BJ. So he noticed that BJ was acting uncharacteristically upbeat and talkative. He was asking him where he was going and how long he would be gone. And you might be like, that's really not a big deal to ask those simple questions. Those are pretty normal questions. But Devin described BJ's typical personality as slow, very dark and gloomy. So he was surprised that BJ was actually engaging in conversation. Well, it must be really odd when you call out that somebody was actually in a good mood. They must always be very down and dark and just in a bad place. Because it's a pretty standard question when somebody was like running into the house to change like, oh, where are you going? Oh, when are you coming back? Yeah. But this was like big time for BJ. So you can only guess how dark and gloomy he actually was. And maybe he had some problems, social problems. Yeah. Whatever. So Devin left for church. He was only home for approximately five minutes. Like I said, he just came home to change. The church service ran long that morning and Devin didn't return home until afternoon. After Devin entered the house, he made a beeline to his room. And obviously, he's a teenager, and teenagers love to play video games, so this is very normal. We've got one in the house. And it's funny, because he did make the beeline, and our son tends to do that, because he doesn't want us to catch sight of him. He doesn't want us to see him like <laughs> sneaking something, and he doesn't want to be told to do something before he yes. can get to his room. So ideally, he'd make like a... a, a you know, a, a door directly to his room yes. without having to see anything. He, so he doesn't have to pass us. So we'd be like, oh, Cam, can you put your clothes away? Or Did you, you take a shower? Did yes. you brush your teeth? Um, can you change your clothes? You've had the same ones on for three or four days. <laughs> yes. Those sort of things. So I could totally 
you know, see this happening. So Devin's going straight to his room. He's playing video games. At about 1.30 that afternoon, it's dawning on him that the house is strangely quiet. Because you're living with multiple other people. Yeah. It's a Sunday. When your parents work, it's very common that the Sunday is your day to get ready for the week. Absolutely. That's, Especially at our house. Yes. That's We're, what uh, I do. Cooking meals for the week and getting lunches together. Mm-hmm. You're just getting ready. So that by Sunday evening, you're, you're feeling good about the week ahead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Devin's noticing, I'm not hearing anybody doing laundry. I'm not hearing anybody in the kitchen. Nobody's um, asked me if my room's picked up. Right. <laughs> so he, to the point that he's... He's like, I got to get up and check things out. So he and also his parents, I should when I say parents, I'm meaning his stepdad and his mom. I understand that. I think, yeah, they don't sleep in, you know, they're busy and doing things. So at 1.30, they're not going to be sleeping is basically my point. So when Devin got up to investigate, he headed downstairs where the master bedroom was. This is obviously where Susan and, and William would be sleeping. He was alarmed to see that they were actually still in bed. They were laying there with their maroon comforter pulled over their heads. He noticed that his mom's foot was sticking out from the bottom of the blankets. It crossed his mind that maybe they were sick and that they had gone back to bed for a nap. Well, yeah. Why else would they be sleeping in the middle of the day? And you know those seconds that your head is processing what your eyes are seeing? Yeah. This is the the fleeting Im- or thoughts that were going through Devin's head as he was looking at the bed. Your mind's trying to make sense of the situation. Exactly. So he approached his mom's side of the bed. He was kind of tapping her leg that was sticking out and he began to speak to her in hopes of waking his mom. This is when he noticed that her pillow was saturated in what appeared to be blood. Uh. So his parents had hosted a party the night before and since it was Halloween, the first thought in his head, again, was that this could be a prank. But very, very quickly, as the seconds ticked by, he processed what he was seeing, and Devin realized that his parents had actually been murdered. He fled from the home. He was hysterical, crying. He quickly called his Aunt Lori, and Lori immediately called the police and headed towards the Liskey home. Is Lori Susan's sister? Yes. Lori... um, um, like I said, she got into her car and headed in that direction. When she spoke with police, she mentioned BJ as a possible suspect. Wow. So this kid had some problems. Yes. I immediately, mean, she's not thinking somebody from the outside did this. She's immediately thinking that Bill's own son was responsible for what happened that morning. Jeez. You know, we already say that, yeah, he had some problems. And he had to be pointed out. But the, the first, very first person you think mm-hmm. of, that's... It sucks so bad, and I could I, I would love to be a fly on the wall and see what he actually was like. You it know? sounded pretty grim, and, and you'll get to hear a little bit more about how he was. So what she told police was they've had a lot of trouble with him with the law. He's threatened Susie before. There's been all kinds of trouble. So it's it was a pretty... Physical? Has he ever gotten physical? I'll tell you more about that. Okay. So when the police arrived to the Liskey's rural home that sat on about 100 acres. 100 acres? Yeah, it's a lot. A lot of land. So they began to search the home. They discovered that not only had Susan and Bill been murdered, but also Susan's 23-year-old son, Derek Griffin. Derek, like Susan and William, I'm I'm ping-ponging between calling Bill William and Bill. Um, cause as I did my research, I, he was only known as William. And then as I got deeper down the rabbit hole, they started to call him Bill. And you kind of get to know him too, as a, as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do the same with my research. So investigators found that all three victims were in their bed. 
A preliminary exam by the coroner determined that the deaths had been a result of either a gunshot or a blunt object, but each victim had obvious trauma to their head. I mean, that's a big difference, blunt object. Yeah, I think it was just on quick glancing. Okay. Um, Just because there's a lot of blood. They didn't know where it was. And a lot of trauma. Okay. There was no sign of a struggle, and it was suspected that they had been murdered as they slept, completely unaware of the danger that they were in. Mm. Further examination determined that they had been, certain victims had been shot. So Bill and um, Susan had been shot. Bill had been shot five times in the face. Holy cow. Absolutely vicious. To your own father. As well as his head from a range of one to two feet. Now, we don't know that it's BJ yet. But, we um, don't know yet, but we can suspect that, that it's pointing in that in that way. Okay. So BJ basically stood at the side of the bed and aimed the gun at his father's head, like at the face, not even behind, like in his, in his, the front of his face, one to two feet away. So face and head is where Bill had been shot. He was found laying in a natural sleeping position. However, Susan was found sprawled very awkwardly in bed. It was suspected that she may have been moved. She was shot three times, also at a very close range, and sadly, she had also been sexually assaulted. That's what was about to come out of my mouth. So a lot of these things are, I say it a lot of times, just based on sexual, you know, whatever gets them off, you know, and that's power struggle. I mean, his own stepmother. Uh, that's a lot of uh, a lot of porn out there is stepmother and stuff like that. Sick. Uh, stepsister and whatever. It's, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, People are into it, I guess. I don't know. Okay. But so Devin ran, like I said, from the house. He was in such a state of panic, grief, and terror that it hadn't occurred to him to check on his brother Derek. You know, it's a fight or flight, and he was fleeing, mm-hmm. which I could never blame him. Oh. You don't know if the person who did this is still in the house. Your natural instinct kicks in and you're going to get the hell out of there. And a panic attack. Usually a panic attack. It's just like you just want to get out of wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And that makes complete sense. So Derek's bedroom door was found locked from the inside. And after police kicked the door in, they found Derek curled up in bed, his back to the door facing the wall. Unlike Susan and William, Derek's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. He had likely died within a few minutes of the first strike. That's how vicious it was. Wow. So it must have been something big, like a sledgehammer or something like that. A bloody claw hammer was found in the house and was consistent with his wounds. It's always so, these claw hammers. Mm-hmm. Uh, claw, that's just like a regular hammer, right? It's probably the back part of a hammer that you oh. use to pull the nails out. Yeah. And so they took this evidence and sent it to the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation for forensic testing. In a matter of hours, Devin's life was completely flipped upside down. He had gone to church. He came home. He was doing a typical Sunday activity of video games. And within seconds, really, you could say, his whole world was turned upside down. And what sucks, they were dead the whole time he was there. Yep. Ugh. So investigators believe that the 22 caliber murder weapon, the gun used on Susan and William had been disposed of in the family's pond because they saw muddy footprints all tracked around the back deck. Okay. So they drained the pond and also utilized weapon sniffing dogs, but there was no sign of the gun. So what happened to it? I don't know. Yeah. Especially with dogs. You think you'd be able to find where the gunpowder was and the trail. Right. But perhaps the person who did this thought to put it back there and then changed their mind and brought it with them and dumped it anywhere. Right. Chucked it out the window on the side of the road. Who knows? 
So Lori, um, Devin's aunt, told investigators that she tried calling the house at both 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. after Derek failed to show up for work. Apparently, he must have worked with his aunts. She also informed them that the family's white Ford F-150 pickup truck was missing from the property. At this point, Devin's stepbrother, BJ, was obviously the number one suspect. <laughs> yeah, where's BJ? That's what everybody's wondering. You know, there's no signs of breaking and entering into the home. The family's truck is gone. All signs point to BJ. So BJ ended up being arrested at a family member's cabin 170 miles away in Carroll County, where BJ and his dad, William, had stayed during a deer hunting trip. Now, I'm going to say one week earlier, their trip actually concluded one day earlier. Wow. They had a whole week of father-son bonding time. And this is how the trip basically concludes. So he's the whole time there. He's probably thinking, I want to kill my dad. Perhaps. Or maybe something just, it may have been a fleeting thing that morning. Who knows? Yeah, a psychotic moment or whatever. So Bill had taken a week off of work and the two returned home only 24 hours before the murders. Investigators found an uneaten Subway sandwich in the cabin. BJ had arrived less than an hour earlier and apparently he didn't have time to eat his sandwich. Because, you know, after you massacre your family, your thought is, hey, I'm going to stop at Subway. Well, just get me a foot long. Yeah, you get hungry later. Sub club. You want to eat fresh. Maybe hold the mayo. Yeah. And then this is a great segue for Subway, um, our new sponsor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Okay, go ahead. So security footage from a local Subway actually sh- you know, showed BJ in the store purchasing the sandwich after the murders. So Deputy Michael Ballish noticed that a white pickup truck that matched the description of the Liskey families sat on this cabin's property. As Deputy Ballish monitored the property, he noticed that BJ exited the cabin. He stood on the porch, leaning against a post, smoking a cigarette. The deputy approached BJ with his gun drawn and called for backup, where BJ was then arrested. So. The cabin was searched by the Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation, as well as the Carroll County Sheriff's Department. I always just say police when I read those long ones. I'm like, eh, police is good enough. The police. Yeah. Um, They also seized the truck, BJ's clothing, all into evidence. He was initially charged with only one count of murder just because it was enough to hold him until he could be brought to trial and the additional charges could be put against him. Mm -hmm. So as BJ was transferring from the holding cell to a receiving cell, he was told to put on a suicide prevention smock, but he refused. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you got to force these people, right? Sure. It's not like, hey, um, put on a suicide prevention. No, thank you. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Go ahead. It's sometimes like you'll ask our kids, like, do you want to go to like bed at blah, blah, blah time? I'm like, no, you don't ask them. I'm like, you tell them this oh, is when you're going to bed. BS. You are the one that's like, um, can, do you want to go to bed at 930? I'm no. like, no, you're going to bed at 930. <laughs> oh, how the tides have turned. Because that's how you naturally talk to people is asking mm-hmm. a question. Okay, go go on with your story. So an officer named Lamonti instructed BJ toward the smock and touched his shirt. This prompted BJ to punch and scratch the officer in the face. Despite the assault, additional charges were not brought against him about, you know, assault. I don't know. I mean, I guess he's like, got plenty already. You got it's enough, like, I guess. We don't need the more paperwork. So after another officer arrived and threatened him with a stun gun, BJ complied, complied and wore the smock. 
So local authorities were very familiar with BJ. This was not his first time acting out. Very curious to hear what you're about to say. So he had been, the officers have been called out to the Liskey residence multiple times from multiple disturbances involving BJ. Now this is like a a country type of area, rural. They're rural, yeah. So it's not like he's getting into like stores and, you know, creating mischief. Like it's basically his family calling on him. Yes. All disturbances within the family. So in 2002, when BJ was 16, he was already on house arrest from another offense. I'm not entirely sure what that offense was, but he threatened to harm himself. So um, his parents called the police. When they arrived, he attacked the officers. So to get on house arrest, you're doing bad things already. Yeah. And he was only 16 at this point. So the officers come to the residence. He attacks them and ended up facing assault charges in juvenile court. In 2004, two years later, BJ forcefully struck Susan Liskey in the chest. And you had asked, was he physical? Mm -hmm. Yes, he was. He actually struck her in the chest. So at that point, like, you know, if you're Bill the dead... You got to be like, you can't be, sta- I mean, you know, you hate to look back and say what people should have done, but it's just like, if Cameron, our son would start striking you, I'd be like, you're no longer allowed in this house. You can go live elsewhere. I'll help you out, but you can't be living here anymore. Yeah. You know? And, and I get that. And you'll hear more about what the living situation was. Okay. So Bill was really having a hard time managing his wife and his son and trying to keep like the harmonious situation it's a mixed family and you want to do what's best because you know having a father in your relationship is going to help yeah and it was his only kid yeah so um like i said this was in 2004 so bj would have been about 18 and you know you could imagine he was probably very strong and he struck his stepmother right in the chest so susan was forced to file a felonious assault charge after um bj then struck her in the head with a coffee cup and stole her car same year yes so the assault and robbery charges were dropped after bj was deemed incompetent to stand trial ah why so we'll go more into that so there's a lot of stuff to dig into here when bill and susan got married in 2001 susan was trying to establish household rules because we're not a blended family. You know, we share two children. They're ours. So it makes things maybe a little bit more simple because there's no like, you're not my dad. You're not my mom. Yeah, I can't imagine what type that's of situation. Like. It's got to be tough. And, you know, we we all know that. What is it like? 50% of marriages end in divorce. So there's a ton of blended families and they make it work. Yeah. But when you add in a hostile child that has issues going on, it's not going to be easy. So bless Susan because she had to deal with a lot. Hard enough as is, much less somebody who is physically violent. Right. So, you know, she's trying to say like, okay, guys, this is like the expectations of what it's going to be like with all of us living under the same roof. Um, uh, BJ, you have to stop being violent and getting arrested and doing things that are, you know, cause us to call the police. Right. I mean, this is a guy that can't be helped just by a talking to, unfortunately. No. So... BJ was having none of Susan's rules. He's like, I'm not listening to anything you have to say. So his relationship with his stepmom was continuously strained. And since his parents divorced, he began skipping school and misbehaving. So BJ sounds, you know, obviously I'm not a professional, but he sounds psychotic. So Um, I will tell you more about his diagnosis. And somebody, I was watching somebody on TikTok or something or Twitter, and they were like, there's never been an... uh, an example of somebody being diagnosed as psychotic and being treated and successfully 
no longer being psychotic. So you mean without medication or something? No, but I'm, I'm probably, I guess. But he said like you're never cured. I guess so well, without yeah, the medication, right? Yeah. So you're saying you must have an underlying diagnosis if you become psychotic. I'm saying you pretty much once you're diagnosed, you're never not going to be psychotic your whole life. So you're going to be just be treated for whatever mental health disorder you might have. Right. Okay. I mean, there might be like drug induced psychosis right. without having something underlying like bipolar or schizophrenia or something like that. My point is once you're, deemed psychotic yes. you're going to be psychotic forever okay i i'm no mental health expert at all so after the Liskey family was murdered more disturbing stories began to surface there was one time that um bill i, I always want to say william but bill kicked his then 18 year old son out of the house so this was around the time when bj had struck his stepmom in the chest he hit her with a coffee cup he stole her car also, she had been showering and he attacked her in the shower. Define attacked. I don't know. They did not go into detail of what happened other than to say he attacked his stepmom in the shower. Anything sexual? You, no, nothing like that. More of like a running, you know, trying you're to You're vulnerable or, in the shower. Yeah. You're taken aback. Well, you're you're naked. naked. Yeah. Right, right away that puts you in a very vulnerable situation and you're trapped. Right. Our shower specifically, it's like one of those kind of stall showers. Like you're literally trapped in yeah. that shower and that may have been their situation. So at this point in time, this is when Bill kicked his 18-year-old son out of the house. That's what I like about it. You can't go anywhere if I'm like, all right, hey, babe, how you doing? When, what do I call you? Octopus arms? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, 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 oh. Here come my tentacles. I'm like, I got to hurry up and get out of this shower. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like I said, this is the point when BJ was being kicked out of the house. Okay. But despite all of the violence and turmoil that BJ was causing in the household, Bill did file for guardianship in 2006. What does that mean? It means that he wanted to maintain his position with like being his guardian because I think it was being deemed at this point, despite BJ being an 18-year-old, he needed more assistance. Got it. So by 2007, BJ had been hospitalized for bipolar schizoaffective disorder, and he eventually transferred to a group home called Sandusky for mental health patients. During his stay at Sandusky, BJ had at least three violent encounters with police, one involving his father, Bill, as he arrived to pick him up from home. So even with BJ out of the house and in this facility that's geared towards people with mental illness, he's still struggling. Mm -hmm. You know, his dad was trying to do everything in his power. He had him hospitalized to get his medications in order, get his diagnosis, get his meds. It just wasn't working. Yeah, he's too far gone. Mm -hmm. That's sad. A family friend named Mark Gradle recalls many conversations with Bill about his concern about the family's safety in regards to BJ. Bill often called Mark to help when BJ was getting out of hand and becoming physical at the house. So Mark, of all people, knows firsthand what BJ is capable of. And as a child gets older, they get stronger. The parents getting older and the son is a young, like 20 something year old. You can physically overpower your father at this well, point. I was like double the size of my dad at 20. So, I mean, there was no chance of anybody stopping me if I wanted to do something. Exactly. Obviously, I wasn't a good kid, so I didn't. But I mean, as somebody with, you know, these episodes, it's you're one in thing trouble. if the kid's seven years old and he's having outbursts, but when he's edging on 20 something, you can physically take down your parents. I mean, our son is only 14 and he's what's like five inches taller than me. Yeah. 
So it's it's scary. So Mark was very scared for the family. And Bill often called Mark, like I said, he took to help him. So BJ was Bill's only son, like I said. He refused to give up on him. He stood firm with his opinion that BJ wouldn't hurt them, despite mm. Bill himself receiving multiple physical injuries at the hands of his son. He wants to he's hoping for the best. You know, he wants the best yeah. from his son. That's, and can you blame the guy? No, well, yeah. Meh, because you, you think little, in yes. your head, like at what point do you just give up on your kid? Actually, yes, I do blame him a little because he was violent already. Yeah. So yeah, he, he you can say he's not going to hurt you. He did already. So Bill, enough to cut the shit. He's, he's a dangerous person. And that's kind of where Mark was. Mark yeah. was feeling like, B- Bill, you're really endangering yourself and the family. Right. But I don't think Bill ever thought that his son would have been capable of what he actually ended up doing. Now, I, you know, as a father, I can't really blame him because I would always want the best. But at the same time, he was being silly a little bit. Yeah. So Mark Gradle and other neighbors also suspected that BJ killed and injured several of their pets, including the Gradle's dog that had been wounded by two twenty-two caliber bullets. Jesus. So he had some major problems. Oh, you automatically start thinking serial killer at this point. Right. So Bill's goal was to get his son the help that he needed. Did he, he wet his bed? Remember we talked about that? How there's the like those trifecta, trifecta or whatever it was. Yeah. That I don't know. Okay. They never said that. But um, Bill's goal was that he was going to get his son the help he needed. He knew that when he was compliant with taking his medication, he did do well. He was functional. He didn't have these violent outbursts. The problem was he would get better on the medication and convince himself that he no longer needed them. And this is going to be the thing we'll talk about as long as we do this podcast. Exactly. They always think they're going to get better. They stop and then the episodes come back. And, you know, ultimately he would then turn to alcohol and pot instead of his meds. It's like it would almost like be so beneficial to have a patient that's got something like bipolar or schizophrenia that you could like do a monthly injection where you like have to report into the hospital to get this infusion. Yeah. You know, something like that where there is no way around taking the medication. Because we would prevent countless murders and, you know. But they do say, though, that uh, mental health patients are no more like likely to commit violent crime than non-mental health. Yeah, I think that's playing with statistics. I don't know. Uh, It's just what I've read. So Bill and BJ returned from their hunting trip on Saturday, October 30th. And the Gradles, uh, Mark, like I said, um, they came to the Liskey home to have this little Halloween party. He recalls that everyone was happy and having fun. Gradle didn't see Susan's son, Derek, but that wasn't unusual because Derek did not like BJ. So... He made himself very scarce. Well, nobody liked BJ. When BJ, when he knew BJ was going to be there, he's like, peace out. I am not going to be around his his negativity sure. and his gloom and his darkness. Right. So that was not uncommon that Derek wouldn't come around. And we all know that Devin wasn't there either. So I think both of Susan's boys really wanted nothing to do with BJ. And can you blame them? So BJ was there, though. BJ was there. What was he doing? I would like to hear what he was doing that night. So I'll tell you more about that. But um, can you imagine what Derek and Devin must have thought, knowing that BJ had gotten physical in the past with their own mother, knowing he had struck her multiple times? I mean, 
I can't imagine like being in his presence, knowing you hit my mother. Yeah, you hate his face. You hate everything mm-hmm. about him. You want him to be gone somewhere, just anywhere but where you are. Right? right. And probably mad at your mom for being like, you You shouldn't be around him ever. Well, and then the boys probably feel like you're putting us in a bad position because sure. we don't want to be around this psycho. Right. So I'm sure it was it was pretty rough. And she wants to support her husband. and you know, She, like her, her husband, is in a bad position because yeah. she wants to be supportive of her husband who wants to be supportive of his son and also be there for her kids it's like you're pulled in different directions so it was rough so normally when bj was at the house he he did not spend the night he would go back to the sandusky home but because susan and bill were enjoying alcoholic beverages at the party they decided to make an exception and allow bj to spend the night after the party rather than driving him back when the party ended about midnight So when investigators searched the house, they noticed that the sofa bed in the living room had been made up, and they assumed that that's where BJ had slept that night, and it would have been. Now, Michelle Gradle, Mark's wife, told investigators that on the morning of Halloween, Sunday, October 31st, she heard noises of what sounded like gunshots at around 6.30 a.m. that day. Mm -hmm. So if this is correct, Devin would have been home and unaware that the family had been killed while he got ready for church. Oh, wow. Yep. So he's in and out of the house about five minutes flat, just quickly changing and getting the heck out of there. Now, the family doesn't go to church, it sounds like. Well, it sounded like they did, but maybe because maybe it's a big church. they had the party, they were up till midnight, maybe they're like, ah, it's Halloween, we'll just skip today. And he's in chorus, he goes first, and yes. then they, you know, he might not see them because it's a big church exactly. or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. But you did ask, I'm sorry, I'm backtracking. You asked kind of like what the atmosphere was at the party. Yeah. Again, I wish I was a fly at the wall and I could see what BJ was up to. Like According just to there. Mark, everybody was happy and got along well that night. I picture him in a corner kind of like going back and forth. You know, like I consider this guy kind of out of his mind, but maybe he was, I don't know. I'd, I'd really love to see what he was like. Nothing stood out in Mark's reports of what happened during the party. So mm-hmm. it seemed like everybody had a good time. Everybody seemed happy that night. Well, there's tons of other people having a great time. Nobody's looking at BJ. Right. And, you know, when somebody is doom and gloom, you kind of keep your distance. And everybody already knows that he is. So it's not like something unique. So, again, it's very, very likely that Devin was getting ready for church while his family had already been murdered. Now, he left and BJ asked him when he's going to be back. So that's what made people wonder, why was... BJ asking Devin, how long are, where are you going and how long will you be gone? I was assumed that he would try to kill him when he comes home. Right. And the question is, why did he allow Devin to live? Right. That, that was my next We question. don't know. Okay. We have no idea why he did. They didn't ask him? So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Either okay. way, it's not any of the research I did. But, um. Did they, BJ talk at all? Did he say like how, you know, that he did it and admit to it and everything? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, there was no question about that he did this. Yes. It was a hundred percent BJ. So it says that it's, like I said, it's possible that he hadn't yet murdered him. And that's why he was asking Devin how long he was going to be gone. Phone records show that Derek Les spoke with someone at 202 the day before, which was October 30th. My thought is 100% the family was already murdered by the time Devin came home because Aunt Lori tried the, 
them at 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. Never got an answer. Uh, Michelle Gradle heard the bullet shots at around 6.30 in the morning. So I guarantee you they were murdered at 6.30 in the morning. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. And that's why Derek didn't go to work that day. Right. So then Devin was in the house getting ready for church, and unbeknownst to him, his family had already been murdered. Sad. Very sad. So November of 2010, BJ was charged with six counts of aggravated murder, two counts for each person killed. Three of the counts were murder with prior calculation and design, and three were murder committed in the commission of aggravated robbery. I don't know if it's because he took the truck. Yeah, I guess just any anything they can get him for. Mm-hmm. BJ pleaded not guilty. That was another question. So did he just admit it or did he say not guilty? So, okay. So I'll talk more about that. But two two competency evaluations were done and BJ was deemed competent to stand trial. During a pretrial hearing on August 12th, 2011, BJ decided to plead guilty to three counts of aggravated murder in exchange for removal of a potential death penalty. Before his sentencing, BJ apologized for murdering his family. He blamed the actions on Satan as well as his mental illness. So there was no doubt that he did this. He admitted it, but he said it was not him that did it. It was his mental illness as well as Satan that caused him. And probably in a very church-going community, they're all like, yeah, it it was Satan. And we'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. In September of 2011, BJ was sentenced to three sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole. On March 31, 2015, BJ was found dead in his cell at Ross Correctional Institution in Chillicothe, Ohio, from a self-inflicted wound. Mm-hmm. And that's where the story ends. And, you know, it's because uh, a lot of times I get really mad at people, but this guy had no chance. I mean, he was just mentally so out out there well it's not only that but he had so much rage inside of him i mean the constant physical outburst towards his father his stepmother the police constantly they got him in that sandusky house yet he was still three times police had had to go over there there was a lot of rage inside of this person unfortunately you know sexually assaulted susan you know whether it was before or after it doesn't really matter but it's just it's par for the course basically you know with with people in this situation i i expected that and then you said it and it's just like of course you did and this guy's just so far gone it's just it, people like us who don't have all these problems we think like no just don't kill people you know like i read a, a post by somebody the other day that was like you know blaming alcoholics and drug addicts like well you shouldn't have picked up that drink or you shouldn't have picked up that drug yeah but which it's just is like, just a stupid thing to even say yeah and it's just you know people make mistakes sometimes you know they're gonna pick up yeah. something or whatever it is and this guy he didn't even have a choice you know just mentally just imagine you're already born and you you're screwed because you have this bipolar you have yeah, but this. there's a lot of people that have bipolar and they live very fulfilling normal lives yeah not to not to say people that are bipolar no will of course murders. not but he just refused to stay on his medication too and it's not you know like you said if if you're off of medication you're bipolar doesn't mean you're going to go kill someone no of course not but um i do find it very interesting that he chose to allow Devin to live yeah because he had him right there so when did he leave the house do we know Devin that? left the house about 9 30 a.m not Devin, bj um no bj was found at the cabin yeah. 170 miles away sometime that afternoon so do we know because Devin didn't hear him leave or anything. 
right? No, but Devin, when Devin left for church, BJ was in the house. Yeah, all right, because he said, when you coming home. Yes. When Devin came back, he didn't see BJ. BJ was not made, there when he came home. But he did just go straight to his room. So maybe he was, maybe Perhaps he wasn't. Perhaps he did not hear any movement whatsoever. Yeah. Could he have had a headset on while he played video games? Yes, but my guess is that BJ killed his family at 6.30 in the morning when Michelle heard the gunshots. BJ came home three hours later. I'm sorry, Devin came home three hours later. And then sometime while Devin was at church, BJ left. Okay. So I don't know if he was asking him when he was going to come home because he thought about like trying to clean up and hide things yeah. and then just decided that forget it. There's no way to hide this. Yeah, that's possible, too. But, you know, we were talking about like addiction. I'm watching that show on Netflix, Dahmer. And, you know, we all know the Jeffrey Dahmer story if you're listening to true crime. And that's a lot of the things he talked about was like he couldn't stop himself. He would go sometimes nine years. Like at one point he went nine years without murdering somebody. But he's like, but then the addiction kicked back in and there was no stopping it. Yeah. It's something like we said, you or I or most people out here listening to this couldn't possibly imagine that and thank god we couldn't thank god yeah yeah like you you're kind of lucky in that fashion that's just one of the things that counts your lucky stars yeah that you don't have this and it's our uh, speaking of Dahmer, our 14 year old son he's like um yeah you know the story about Dahmer, right and we're like yeah of course like i'm not even a true crime guy but uh, everybody knows Dahmer's and you know at least the gist and we're like don't watch that cam it's not good for you well because i'm watching it and it's I know the story, like I said, you know what's gonna be in there, but I mean there's definitely a lot of disturbing content. And he's curious, like anybody, you know, and he, he likes some of this crime he stuff. He does like some of the true crime stuff. And you know, it's it's life, so we don't like shy away from it, but at the same time if we can you try to make him avoid it, and he's like, Well, why? What is it? What is it? I'm like, You really wanna know? You're gonna be affected once I tell you. He's like, Yeah. I was just like, well, he has sex with little boys and eats them, kills them and eats them. And one of them was a 14-year-old boy. Yeah. And it's, he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, all right. So now you're good with not watching it? He's like, yep. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. It sucks. Yeah, so, it does. But anyway. Well, thank you for the story. Um, there are a lot of good detail there. I'm um, sorry for the family, unfortunately. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, but I do want to say thank you to all of our patrons. If you want bonus episodes, we get uh, a bonus episode every other week. So go to the Patreon page and sign up. Um, you get $5, $10, $25 uh, levels. So um, I want to say thank you to each of our patrons. Colleen, Lily, Karen, Nadine, Allie, Michael, Dominic, Brian, Shannon. We got a lot of Patreons over here. I know. We're so thankful. Yeah. Elizabeth, Mandy, uh, Alana or Elena, uh, Vivian, Trisha, Lauren, Megan, and Jamie Beth. So thank you so, so, so much. We really appreciate it. It helps us get invest in more products here. Um, should have a video up soon. I keep saying that, but I'm going to have, I, I swear, I promise. I uh, trust you're going to make it happen. Please don't look at me like that. I get so scared Mike, of your look. Okay. Mike. I will. I will. Mike, are you going to make it happen? I will. I will. Gosh darn it. So we're going to have it happen. Uh, thank you so much for your support. We man. appreciate each and every one of you for being here. So thank you so much. And until next time. Bye. bye.